Welcome, everybody, to some episode of Media Sandwich with Chris and Kyle. It's episode 16. Episode 16. Thank you for joining <laughs> us. All right, so Kyle, what uh, what media have you been consuming lately? So, so many things. I, well, first off, you know, when, when isolation and everything hit, I started seeing everybody being like, okay, well, this is, this is that moment. This is your chance to dive into the things that have been on your list forever. And I said, part, part of me was like, yeah. And another part of me was like, you know, I could watch three more episodes and nailed it on Netflix. I've been watching Uh a lot of that. Yeah. I, I think my wife is finally on to me that I have a little bit of a crush on Nicole Byer and mm. I, I feel justified in that because she's very funny. And now my kids are running around like just yelling, nailed it and like yelling, <laughs> yelling for Wes, the production assistant. And Rosalie made me a birthday cake the other night and the kids got a little judgy about it. <laughs> Like they started telling her her buttercream was a little too thin. And I'm like, this is nuts. This is a five-year-old, a five-year-old critiquing a chocolate cake. This is nuts. Maybe we should stop watching Nailed It so much. <laughs> but, uh, we've watch- yeah. But we've been watching a lot of that because it's fun and they're really short episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the one thing that's on, that's been on my list of, like it, it almost felt like homework television. Like this is something you should watch. Damn it! And clearly, I hadn't for years. I was, thought you were about to say Tiger King, and I was like, I would have said I haven't watched that either. <laughs> no, I did watch Other Tiger homework. King in a. I watched Tiger King in a fever pitch over like two days, <laughs> but I have got to see it. Yeah, you're probably kind of fine. Like yeah, I think you're. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of. Feel- I think you would not derive nearly as much pleasure from it as a lot of people do. Cause a lot of people watch reality television for the like trashiness factor. And this is a documentary yeah. series that feels like that. It's like if they made a revealing docu-series about honey boo boo back in the day. Ugh, no, thank you. Yeah. Plus I know how you feel about big cats and this would upset you in places. Yeah, it's the same reason I haven't watched the documentary Don't F With Cats, because I hear a lot of people say, it's a really good documentary, but like, it's about a guy who murders cats, and then the internet tries to stop him. And I'm like, yeah. mm, I don't that, feel like watching that one. It, that one's a really hard watch. I watched that one a couple of months ago, and it's only like three episodes, but they're like an hour and a half each, and... It's a rough watch because by the end of that, the documentary is less about the guy and it's more about these people on the internet who obsessively searched for him and how their lives are a little too... Like, they're extremely online people is the phrase that I've heard before. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that, that one I don't think you would enjoy either because that's a, also a true crime one and true crime is something that I've never really associated with you. I... But uh, I enjoy I enjoy a crime that is um, less that has less murder or abuse. So I adored McMillions. On and HBO. I watched I watched the first episode of that based on your suggestion. Mm. I I watched the first episode and I was delighted by a true crime story with such low stakes to it. You'd think and wait till you get if you decide to keep watching, I hope you do. I mean, Doug, 
Doug, the FBI agent, is he makes that first episode. Oh my god, he? he's he's such a flaming jackass. <laughs> Every second he's on screen, he is just revealing so much of his awful personality. And I'm like everybody they interview who is associated with him, all of his bosses, all of the agents above him are just like, like they're all just being like this fracking guy. We can't, we can't rein this idiot in for five minutes. He's talking yeah. about being undercover. He's not trained to be undercover. He's talking about he, he wants to pull a sting operation and like it's like he's trying to stage Argo, and it's like. But dude, yeah. it's it's McDonald's. It's a McDonald's contest. It's not it's not life or death. This is it's, you're a fraud yeah. agent. Like it's that so weird. Was, it was so weird. That one, I loved that one because again the stakes felt low, but yet like you realized just how much was involved in what happened. And it's pretty pretty jarring when you realize just how many people's lives were affected as a result. It's like, oh. I had my fun, but now I don't have, I don't think I'm going to enjoy this the same way. And like the same way I watched the fire, uh, fire festival documentary, the one that was on Netflix, at least not, not the one on Hulu, which apparently are different ones. Cause frick. Cause yeah. Yeah. I watched both of those and it's really fun to watch them both and compare the angles that they took with them. Cause the Netflix one is a lot splashier, a lot more, money behind it the hulu one feels a lot more like an indie doc but but the hulu one i think actually has the dude behind yeah. the whole thing so it's it, i hear that he try, it tries to be more sympathetic to him i don't want to be sympathetic to him i very much enjoyed the netflix version that just like takes me to task and it's crazy because i'm in the marketing like influencer world i see i, I understood everything they were talking about but we're on such a lower, more like realistic level in it where, you know, yeah. we do we do our activations and we know the people and like everyone we work with generally are like, yeah, this is a chill person. We can hang out with them. This isn't like um, like, you know, big time, you know, hip hop artists and we're going to buy an island and we have to promote this on a social media network with models. And and it's like that's just insanity. And hearing how much they're throwing together in like two weeks or two months, I'm like, there's no way. There's no way, man. Like, best business practices, you got to give yourself like half a year to a year on any normal event. And we're talking like, we're going to go to to GDC or E3 or something. But like two months to throw together a full music experience on an island Oh, I mean, it gets it gets so much worse the further you get into it where you're like, okay, so they just thought they could throw together some some discarded FEMA tents and like a nasty Mm -hmm. ass cheese sandwich in a box. And they thought that that would work like if like it. Well, they were in scrambling mode. Yeah, but like it, it like just from his perspective, that dude, it feels like that kid in school who would show up to class and turn in a paper that's like half done with no conclusion no no final page basically and it's like handwritten on notebook paper when it was supposed to be typed out and shit and you're just like you're just sitting there going like why did you even turn anything in why don't you just take the f take the incomplete there would be more Mm -hmm. dignity in taking the f and the incomplete than turning that in 
And the problem that I saw with him that like speaks to me is the idea when he said, you know, we are a solutions company. We don't want to hear about problems and say we can't. We want to find the, the solution to make everything happen. And it's so frustrating when you hear that from people because I've met, I've met people like that who don't oh, want sure. to hear no and they don't want to hear logistics. And they have this mentality of, you know, you must always push further than you've ever gone before. Never say anything is impossible. But there's a certain point where you have to go like, hold, hold, find a phone, hold it right now, okay? Because <laughs> there's eventually a limit to real, like real life. Like I heard an example of someone, you know, they they said, you know, you know, you can't stop um, pushing the limits. Like, what if you know when when you know when President Kennedy says like we are going to go to the moon not because it is easy but because it is hard. And it's like, okay, like, if he had not said that, he wouldn't have pushed anyone. And it's like, but, sure, we did get to the moon, but that was a realistic goal, even though it seems fantasy. It's not like he said, we are going to go to Mars, it doesn't matter how we're going to do it, we're going to do it. It's like, that, that wouldn't have worked. Like, we would well, not have ever got to Mars. Well, and that's a great example, because the thing that nobody thinks about, and this is why my favorite HBO miniseries is From the Earth to the Moon, the uh, Tom Hanks-produced... Uh, miniseries about the Apollo program, they start the very first episode with that speech from Kennedy, and then it cuts to the three or four dudes that are in charge of something that isn't even called NASA yet, but it's on its way there, I think. Or yeah. it, it might be at NASA at that point, because it's like not Mercury hasn't even started. The Mercury program hasn't even started. And these guys get into a conference room they hear him say it on the radio and they shut the radio off. And one of them just turns to the others and goes, okay, um, can we do this? <laughs> can we do this? And does anybody here want my job? Yeah. And, and it's, it's played by, uh, I'm going to get the actor's name wrong. Dan Loria, the dad from the wonder years. So mm -hmm. he's got just that smoldering, like, like grumble in his face of just like, I, I can't, I cannot believe that I'm in a position where I'm saying this, but the president just, just promised that we would get a man on the moon within 10 years. And I'm yeah. asking, can we even do that? So mm -hmm. that's the thing. When you get people who are like that, these people like, uh, Bill, was it Billy? Is that what his name was? The, the fire fest guy, whatever. His yeah. Name that is. sounds, that sounds sure. right. He, the, people like that who are like, we're, you know, positive thinking. We don't, we don't talk about the, the things that are, that are holding us up. We're going to move forward and everything forward. And we're just going to circumvent all of our problems by pretending they don't exist and pretending that we have solutions even when we don't. It's like, yeah, you can do that because you fancy yourself a Kennedy Kennedy didn't have to worry about whether or not shit was possible. He could promise the moon, literally promise yeah. the moon. And it was somebody else's problem. So in the Firefest docs, I really feel for those poor people working like the third tier below jaw rule and this oh. yokel of a guy. And these people mm -hmm. are just like, like even the ones who didn't even get to go to the island who are like in an office going, I don't understand what you want me to do about it. I'm not even there. Yeah. They call and he's like, yeah, we, we fired the, uh, the caterers because we realized that we needed to pay them $5 million, only had a million set aside. So instead of 
managing it with the five million, just taking that hit and getting the caterers to do it for five million. They instead fire the caterers, and with a less, you know, less than a week to go, they they find a caterer who said they can do it for one million. It's like you've got to be kidding me. That's that's just silly. That's just silly. I mean, that's yeah. just silly. <laughs> those are fun. Those are fun. I mean, I guess that doesn't really line up with true crime, but it's close. That's really close because Firefest was a crime. I love those type of documentaries. Like my, my favorite documentary is uh, King of Kong because it feels like it's a true crime type thing, and that there's a there's you know a crime that could be happening. Is Billy Mitchell cheating? Why are they stopping Steve Weeby from from getting into the record books with Donkey Kong? And it's like, but at the same time, you're going. Okay, this is so low stakes because if he wins, he gets don- he gets the record for Donkey Kong. If he doesn't, he does not get the record for Donkey Kong. <laughs> it's like I'm going to enjoy this because it's so preposterous and it's it's filmed so genuinely, you know, earnest. But at the same time, you you can always step back and go, "Whew, that was pretty intense." Also, this guy's trying to get a high score in Donkey Kong. <laughs> It's it's a terrific movie because it makes it makes the high score in Donkey Kong matter when mm-hmm. it really shouldn't. But also, I always compare a lot of documentaries to King of Kong because almost no documentaries that I see these days, especially now that Netflix pumps them out really fast, Hulu, HBO has this real problem for me of they'll do a documentary about a crime or something where they mm-hmm. will not take a side. They, they're obsessed with doing this thing where they try to show the sympathetic side of the person who clearly committed a crime. And mm-hmm. they try to present this idea of, well, maybe society is to blame and this person really isn't. And, and I'm just like, no, go back to King of Kong. That is a documentary with the courage to cast one person as the hero and the other as the villain whether or not any of that's really accurate, I mean, it kind of is because Billy Mitchell, he's hes less of a villain and more of just a buffoon, but he's an he was, unlikable buffoon by comparison to Weeby, who seemed like, you know, just kind of a doofy dad type who you want to root for him because he doesn't yeah. have a lot going for him and he wa- he wanted it. And Billy Mitchell mm-hmm. didn't really give a shit if he got the record or not, so... The fact that they had the had the courage to say this one is the guy we're going to sympathize with and this is the one who we're going to cast as the evil supervillain of this weird little world, that was very smart. And I wish that documentaries would do it more. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a great movie. I, I love King of Kong. Uh, so what what is the streaming homework that you, you were going to say that you, you needed That's to watch right. and you finally got into? That's right, yeah. So, uh, now that which, I've derailed. Which is, it's a funny jump off because we talked about true crime, and this is untrue crime, but it's a crime show, a show that is always in the top 10 of television shows of the last 20 years, but I've never seen a lick of The Wire. The Wire? Mm-hmm. The Wire. I have never seen a lick of it until just this last week. And I blew through season one in a couple of days, just like, this is amazing. This is intricate. It's exciting. It's it it makes everything feel so high stakes, even when it's something as simple as a phone call. And mm-hmm. there's like th- there are 30 major characters to follow all at once. 
it's it, it's an incredibly intricate show just based on trying to follow everything that goes on moment to moment. It's it's a of course, I've become one of those people who's like I'm <laughs> I'm pumping it up really really big and it sounds like I'm hyperbolizing the show, but it's real good. This the first season is very complicated and I think the reason why a lot of people love this show is it does not slow down to explain to you, okay, so this is how it works within the mm. police department, you know, and how these two departments don't intermingle their cases, but this special detail. And then this is how you get a wire via a judge and a affidavit and, and a subpoena and the, the lawyer's office. And, you know, meanwhile, on the other side, okay, this is how the crime syndicate works where this guy does this and he gives the orders to this guy and then that guy gives the orders to these guys and they execute this maneuver where they sell the drugs, but they don't actually exchange money because they don't want to get caught. So they have the guy go around to here and this is the stash house and that's where they keep the main bulk of the drug. But then they have little hoppers who run around and, you know, disseminate it amongst the guys on the corner. None of that stuff is outright explained to you at all. So you have to <laughs> learn it. You have to pick up on it. Otherwise, you will get lost. And yeah. I think the reason why people love The Wire is you get three episodes into the first season of this show and you feel smart. You feel like, <laughs> OK, I'm I am on this. I understand the criminal organization that is so very elaborate. I understand the police side of things, which has not been explained to me one iota. It's it's a show that makes you feel clever just for following along. And mm -hmm. And it because it never slows down, it never feels slow, even though not much happens for the bulk of that first season. You know, it's it's mostly stage setting for what happens in the last couple episodes. But uh, I I started season two and it does kind of feel like it's got a season two slump to me because <laughs> like. It, it, it reminded me a lot of, and I compare a lot of shows to NBC's Heroes, because Heroes <laughs> is that show that I'll always think of when I think of, oh, the first season was so meticulously planned out and so, mm -hmm. you know, so self-contained and pre-packaged as one thing. And then once season one was a huge hit afterwards... Clearly, there was a, a, a big strokey beard meeting where a bunch of people had to sit around a conference table and go, what the hell are we going to do to follow this up? What, yeah. what do you do for a season two of this show? It's almost like, you know, there, there's this thing where and you took a, a television writing course. So, you know, when you write a show Bible, you write what happens in the first episode, what happens in the 10th episode, what happens in the 100th episode. I mean, it's generally a smart plan. Like you, you when you make a season of a show, um, one very conventional way to do it is you want to write out all the beats. So if you know you're going to have, you know, 12 episodes in a season, you're like, OK, where are these episodes landing? Um, this episode is going to be, you know, a two parter with this one because we're going to have a hurricane happening um, or something like this one. Like, here's the two episode finale. 
Uh, we have to know what, what happens. Like, what's the ending? What's the mid-season finale? What's the actual like season finale? We have to have an answer for that, unless like we're kind of making up as we go. And I think it's super dangerous to make stuff up as you go. You want to have an answer, and you want to have it plotted, and you want to start pointing towards it, so that when it happens, it doesn't feel like you just pulled it out of a hat. And that's the problem that shows like Lost ran into is that they came up with a great premise, but no answers. And so they were just coming up with answers in real time to questions that people have been asking and their answers would ask further questions. And you're like, this isn't an answer, dude. This is just a question that's in the form of an answer. And, and that almost became a, that almost became a formula for shows after Lost. Like I remember, Oh God, what was the name of that terrible, terrible post lost show? It was called like the event. And yeah. I never all, watched a single episode of it. Me neither because it looked terrible, but the advertising for it was so very like, did you like lost? Then you'll love this show. Mm-hmm. The event. What's it about? Well, it's it about an like, event. Yeah. Like, yeah. It wasn't like, what is the event? I'm like, I don't know. Looks like someone else have to tell me later. And I don't think anyone watched it to tell me. So. No, no, <laughs> nobody did. Happened. This just uh, in, the event has been canceled. Yeah, the, the event, like, all I saw during the advertising was a lot of people, like, you know, glaring at each other and making vague inquiries about what the event was. And then you would see, like, an airplane fly by, and I'm like, was the event 9-11 or something like that? Like, that, that's... Yeah. It had this feel to it, like it was something like that, and I'm like, that sounds this all mm-hmm. this all sounds unpleasant. It's and, so like a show that is I'm watching right now. I just watched the fourth season of Better Call Saul. That oh, yeah. I mean, the showrunners for Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad they know how to write a show really, really well because it's clear that they have a plan in action, but they are letting it evolve naturally. And they're writing, I've heard that their style is, is pants style as opposed to um, plotting style. I think that was the difference where like you either have points plotted out and you have to make your characters get to those points, which is really great to have a cohesive story. But usually you get lost with like the characters get lost in it. Meanwhile, pants style is you're writing them by the seat of your pants. And so the characters feel really natural and believable and actions that happen feel really impactful. But the problem is those ones are really hard to stick to landing or to hit any sort of conclusion when you want them to on time because it's hard for you to have once you've started to write these characters naturally you might realize oh crap unless we throw in a whole weird left curve they're not gonna end up in this spot where we need them to be like we need to be standing on this x and they are across town uh uh, crap we need to get them here to there in one episode um see uh game of thrones (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. basically the entire last season of game of thrones is oh crap this character is supposed to have gotten here and we decided to trim that down from one season build up to uh half an episode build up mm, let's see if we can do it did we do it we sure did did anyone believe it they sure didn't oh well money please thank you bye that's the weirdest thing about game of thrones is that like everybody everybody will talk about that last season I always think about the last two seasons where the second to last season is stretched out to such a ridiculous degree where like there are two episodes where one of the major characters of the show, it's like, what's their plot? Their plot is they're standing around and ruminating while like a map is being built in a room for them. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
And then the final season, what does that one person do? Uh, nothing. She doesn't have time to because everything's happening around her and that's just kind of it. It's the end. Yeah. Like it, it just kind of felt the, the, the last two seasons of that show felt like this weird disproportionate amount of time being spent on character development. Like we like at that point in that second to last season, it almost felt like we know where everyone's going to end up at this point. Uh, mm-hmm. The writers did, but they had no idea how to get there. So they just focused on the things they knew had to happen. Like you're talking about like points, you know, they, they knew yep. that this big event had to happen and they knew that this next big event had to happen. The connective tissue, it felt like, well, I don't know. They just arrived. It just happened. Yeah. yeah. You know, you're, you're totally right. And I, I, remember... I imagine with, with Better Call Saul, that must be so difficult because it's technically a prequel, right? It's a prequel to Breaking Bad, right? It's absolutely a prequel to Breaking Bad. And the thing is... Um... Is it Bob Odenkirk? That, yeah. That's the guy, right? Um, he's a phenomenal actor. And he's, I think he's super underrated a lot of times. And he keeps popping up in a lot of stuff. And he deserves every bit of credit he gets because he's such a phenomenal actor, especially in oh, the show. Oh, he's amazing, yeah. He's, he's, he's doing great. I mean, all the actors in the show are running laps. They're all running laps together, which is nice to see a whole you know, show of actors running laps. I mean, that was the same with Breaking Bad where everyone is just on their game. And... Um, this show was written in such a way where I've said before, I liked Breaking Bad or I respected it. It wasn't enjoyable to watch for me because it was so exhausting. I feel like I couldn't catch my breath and take a break. And they had no, it it was exhausting. Absolutely. They had no exit points. And there are some shows that give you exit points where they feel like, Hey, if you need to get off the roller coaster before you go down the big hill, if we're going up, tick, 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 you can get off here and, and no one will say anything about it. You can get here and your life can go on. But if you go over this hill, you're going the rest of the way or else you're going to feel a bit jarred if you try to get out there. And that was what Breaking Bad was. But Breaking Bad, that hill happened in the first season and it didn't stop at any point except like late in the series there's one like episode where everything is finally going well and they don't have like a setup for the next episode that could like things could fall apart because usually they always had that of like anything and that's the general thing anytime any show or something seems to be going well and bojack horseman did this really really constant i mean that was their thing is every time it felt like Ah, oh, yeah, something's gonna go well, and the end of the episode is like, but then they forgot about the thing that makes it not that way, and which is why BoJack Horseman is sometimes hard to watch because you're like, when is it gonna just be okay for them? It's like, well, yeah, buddy. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, with Better Call Saul, though, I prefer that one over Breaking Bad because the stakes are a little lower, considering that it's mo- instead of the this is the the fall of a guy into being a, com- a drug lord. Um, it's instead like this is the fall of a guy who was a huckster and he became a shyster. It's like <laughs> okay, and and it's but at the same time, like have you seen it? Have you watched it? I haven't watched any of it yet because I I, I don't get my TV very often anymore. And yeah, and it seems it's again it's a lot like The Wire where it's like it's one of these shows where I know that it's good and that I'm going to enjoy it and that it's going to be a show that I remember and, and 
you know, put on one of my lists and whatnot of a show that I can recommend. But I think it's also just really intimidating. Like The Wire is an intimidating show. Yeah. Better Call Saul, just like Breaking Bad, was a show where it's like, I'm I don't know if I'm ready because I can't commit to jumping into this and not yeah. jumping off until I'm done. Um, Better Call Saul was good because it feels lower stakes. It still does that where you feel like you want to keep going, but the roller coaster is lower to the ground. So if you need to jump off and do a, do a rolling stop, you can. Um, like tuck and roll, buddy, but you, you'll make, you'll be okay. Uh, <laughs> and since, again, the stakes are so much lower and because since it's a prequel, you're like, you can just assume like, okay, I know this, 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 and the, like all these characters that I am aware of, I know they're going to be fine. And anyone I don't see, you're not either, either you're not going to be fine or you're not ultimately going to be important by the time we get to the rest of the, sh- of the like the further story. So that I thought was interesting. Um, and I've heard people complain like, oh, well, I didn't really actually need to hear to see the origin of Gustavo Fring. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that, so I like it for that. It's actually been a pretty relaxing watch because like I've been actually like this fourth season, I pretty much watched entirely while just playing Animal Crossing on my Switch. So like I'll do like two episodes of, of Better Call Saul while doing Animal Crossing, just like catching bugs and fish. And it's actually been pretty chill. <laughs> so that like I don't, I don't think nice. I could, yeah. yeah, I don't think I could have done that with Breaking Bad or some more serious stuff. And this was, you know, now I'm excited because like, oh, I'm done with another show for the time being because uh, season five isn't on Netflix yet. Because I think that was still going right now. So now I got to wait. It is. Like, oh, yeah, it's airing right now. Yeah. So now I got to pick up the next show and I'm deciding like, OK, do I want to finish Ozark or do I want to do the last season of, of Orange is the New Black or do I want to go something completely different? Like if the world is open to me and that's very stressful, but it could be very exciting as well. That's uh, Oz- Ozark. My brother and my sister-in-law keep telling me that I got to dive into that one. And that seems like a show that I'm also going to like because my, my God, you know, the, the cast looks great. It's, it it seems like the kind of show that I'll get into, but again, it's another one where I'm like, who, I don't know if I'm ready for another show about like this horrible strain on a family going through all of these Mm -hmm. nasty secrets and stuff. It feels like, (laughs) it feels like too much tension for what's going on in the real world. Whereas the very least, the, the benefit in Ozark is that the family knows very quick what's going on, including the kids, which helps keep it so it's a less of when are they just going to reveal this and when is the secret going to come out, like kind of was one of the Chekhov's guns in Breaking Bad. Um, in this, in Ozark, it's like the family knows the stakes, and that's kind of the conflict is the family knows what's at stake, but they're frustrated with that at all the same. Okay. Yeah, yeah so that kind I, I got to give that one a shot, definitely, because it looks really oh, good. It's, I mean, it's, it's all the accolades it's getting is worth it. Jason Bateman is, is that guy, like, he's shown up everywhere, and he's always good. He is, he's, he's a great actor, and people seem to not really pick that up until more recently. They're like, wait a minute, this guy is really, really good. I'm like, yeah, he's always it's, been good. He's just done sillier stuff. It's so strange that he's had so many chapters of his career because once upon a time and not even that long ago, I remember, man, it was like the first couple episodes. 
God, this is where I out myself. Those of you who didn't know who are listening, uh, I if if there's one show that I'm kind of ashamed that I've watched as much as I have, I have seen every episode of Entourage. I was big into <laughs> Entourage when it first started because when Entourage started, I was like 15 and I had an HBO subscription. So and, and I'm very into the Hollywood you know, like the the backroom part of the industry, like, you know, an agent arguing over somebody's percentage, that stuff I find really interesting. So that part of the show was always terrific to me was, you know, Jeremy Piven's character, like trying to trying to set a backroom deal to make sure that so and so is going to be in the movie or whatever. That stuff. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. The uh, weird, like reverse sex in the city lifestyle porn for dudes kind of thing. Uh, not so much. That's kind of embarrassing to watch, especially now as an adult where I'm like, man, these guys are children. These guys are like pushing 40 and they behave like, like 15 year old boys. It's insane. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I saw, I, I watched that show all the way to the bitter end. And, uh, And in the earliest episode, like maybe the third episode of that show, Jason Bateman is used as a punchline. Like it's, it's literally like this girl's interested in, in one of the dudes. And then she's like, Hey, is that Jason Bateman? And she wanders away. And the punchline is, Hey, where'd your date go? Ah, she's cutting a rug with teen wolf over there. What? Michael J. Fox is here. No, no, no. The guy from the sequel. (laughs) It's like that's what he was known for for a while. First, he was Justine Bateman's little brother, and she was on Family Ties with Michael J. Fox, oddly enough. <laughs> and then after that, he was the dude in Teen Wolf 2, and then just nothing for like 20 years. And then suddenly he started cropping up in things like he has that great cameo in Dodgeball that everybody mm-hmm. still remembers. He was oh, he amazing. has one of the best lines from Dodgeball. Yeah, yeah, and that's saying yeah. something because everybody's fun in dodgeball. Mm-hmm. But, but everyone still uses that bold move, Cotton. Let's see how it's going to play out. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's one of the lines of the movie still remembered like 20 years later. My God, that movie was 20 say years that, ago almost. That's, I think that's the most used line from that movie for sure. Like that's, I definitely, we use that one frequently in, in work and play and everywhere. Bold move, Cotton. I even remember right around that same time he was in, this is a movie nobody but me remembers, is Smoke and Aces. Mm-hmm. I think it was a, a Joe Dante movie uh, with Jeremy Piven, oddly enough. I'm con- I'm connecting dots on my, on my yarn map in my evidence dungeon right now. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that movie's not g- good. It's, uh, it's, it's a real like trash fest of a movie, but it has these weird little performances all throughout it that you're like, Oh man, that's really interesting. Like Ben Affleck shows up in it and this is Ben Affleck like post Benifer, but before he became the director that everybody respected. So he did like Hollywood land where he plays George Reeves and that he's really good in that. And then he's also, he's, he shows up in Smoke and Aces and you're like, oh, Ben Affleck's in this movie. He's probably going to be a big character. And then he just gets wasted instantly. And you're like, oh, <laughs> that he's the character that gets killed so that, you know, anybody can get killed, even Ben Affleck. 
And that's interesting. Chris Pine is playing like a neo-Nazi punker weirdo. And it's before anybody knew who Chris Pine was. So that's mm-hmm. really interesting. And then Jason Bateman is also in the movie as oddly enough, I say that like five times now, he's basically <laughs> playing the Saul Goodman in the movie. He's playing the shyster lawyer who's camped out in a hotel because nobody wants to get anywhere near him and he wants to hide out from the assassins or something. And he mm-hmm. is he's playing it to the rafters. He's like in his underpants. <laughs> walking around like heavily drinking. I think he's got like cold sores all over his face. It's a nuts performance. Mm-hmm. Again, not a good movie, but it's got very fun, weird little performances all the way throughout. Anyways, that's smoke and aces. Find that probably on stars or something like that. Yeah. Um, so you just had, you just had a birthday I did, yeah. I just turned 32 uh, yesterday from the night we're recording this. And congratulations on that. Yeah, thank you. I made it. <laughs> You've done it, sir. So, <laughs> uh, see, I gave you uh, some eShop card, or some eShop money. You did, yeah. This is this is what a pal Chris Pranger is, is he texts me, a picture of a, of an e a Nintendo eShop card code and just says, Hey, <laughs> here's a game. Here's some money. And I well, appreciate that. Tell a lot. You to, it was our own little in joke, you know, happy, happy Spider-Man three launch day release day. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Considering that I would consistently mix up your birthday with the release of Spider-Man three in theaters by a month. And so I would like text you on like May 19th. I'm like, Kyle, happy birthday. I'm like, my birthday was a month ago. I'm like, what are you talking about? Your birthday is May 19th. Like, that was the release date of Spider Man 3 in theaters. And it wouldn't be that ridiculous if you didn't do that for like three years after Spider Man 3 came out. Yeah. Because now only, this, only like, you would remember Spider Man 3's release date that accurately. I don't think anybody else would. Because nobody remembers even know that movie that you do. I don't even know if that's true, in fact. Like, I might even be incorrect about that, so that's, like, doubly worse. It's like, not okay, only well, do I have for... your birthday wrong, but I have it wrong in association with an incorrect date. Well, for the sake of drama, uh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look it up and see if that was correct. Let me see. <laughs> Spider-Man 3 release date. Okay, and it wants to tell it wants to tell me about uh, the the third Tom Holland Spider Man movie that they're not quite announcing yet. Of course. Let me see. Yeah, it's 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 referring to the new. Uh, it's referring to the new Far From Home, Homecoming, Home, whatever it's going to be. It's calling it Spider Man Three. Okay, here we go. Spider Man Three premiered. On April 16, 2007, premiered, but that was the premiere date. The release date in the U.S., the release date was actually May 4th, 2007. So even our in-joke is based on a lie. <laughs> that's just, per- I mean, that's perfect, though, isn't it? I think what it was was maybe we went to see Spider-Man 3 on May 19th together. 
that must have been it. We went and we waited a couple of weeks and we went and saw it on May 19th. We finally had a chance. And that's that was the day I was super Jones to do. I was like, yes, we're going to see Spider-Man 3. Finally, I'm so excited. This movie's going to be so great. And everyone left that theater like, wow, I'm sad. And I'm like, that was really fun because I saw Spider-Man. <laughs> I wanted to see a man who could do the powers of Spider and I saw that. You, you, you see, this is this is the thing where I have this weird cross section between my best friend for half of my life at this point and my my five year old son. Both of you see Spider-Man three and go, this is great. It's a movie with a Spider-Man in it. I want to watch it right now. Every every time Spider-Man three crops up on Netflix, he, my, my son will just jump up and be like, that's the one with Venom in it for five minutes. And I want to I want to watch that one. Never once going like this is a two and a half hour Spider-Man movie where he's Spider-Man for maybe 15 minutes and the rest of it, he's just like, he's dancing. He's bebopping, I mean, scatting around that movie. Sometimes you gotta dance. <laughs> I guess so. But so you was, got some eShop money is the important I, thing here. Yes, I got some eShop money for uh, Spider-Man 3 release date uh, <laughs> <laughs> celebration. Yeah. And uh, I was racking my brain. I actually went through the eShop like all the way through uh, all of the everything that was on sale and everything that was like, bet you know, uh, bestseller there's, featured. Yeah, there's a lot of I mean, that's hard to sift through. I, I will say this about the eShop that you probably now see very clearly. eShop is a garbage interface and oh, like just yes. not well curated at all. It's it's got it's worse curated than steam and steam already has an issue with that for sure. I wish there was at least some sort of quality. It's a shame because like the Wii and the 3ds and the Wii U all had kind of messy interfaces, but at least those you could rate titles. So you could kind of get a sense of what people thought. And like generally it was pretty basic. It's like, you know, did you like this game? What's your rating? Uh, would you consider this casual or hardcore? That sort of stuff. And now the new eShop is like, all right, this is it. We don't even have any yeah. music to go along with it. Nothing cute about it. Like, I miss, I really miss, like, the Wii was so cute that you go to the eShop on the Wii, and it had its own special music. And when you downloaded a game, it showed, like, downloading now. And it showed a little, you know, 8-bit Mario running across the screen, hitting a coin block as you're going to show like, oh, the data's loading. And then, you know, like, oh, it's almost done when he's like hitting the final coin block a bunch of times. Like, oh boy, we've almost got it. Like, that was cute. Now it's just, you oh, know, yeah, hey. Yeah, now it's like, hey, you want, you want this game? Get it. Okay. Yeah, well, and the, 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 it's really difficult to find a game you're looking for, even if it's a well-respect, like, for instance, for instance, I've I've heard plenty about Into the Breach as a game that I would enjoy. And I'm thinking, okay, that sounds good. That sounds like a, a game that'd be right up my alley. Can't find it anywhere on there just going through the menus. I go through featured, I go through bestseller, I go through, you know, deals, I go through by genre. And you gotta nothing. For that, you gotta search the exact title. Otherwise, you have to search the it. exact title. Exactly. Yeah. And meanwhile, the, the just detritus, the, the crap that you have to vault through 
these like 50 cent wonders these and i've and now keep in mind the thing that i've been loving about the switch so far and i'm really new to it i've only had it for about six months the thing i love is that i'm discovering indie games that i would never have known existed and i'm like this is really fun and it was very cheap i'm picking up games for like two three bucks a pop and i'm like these this is terrific i i picked up uh hard west the uh kind of it's very uh heavily compared to xcom it's got that xcom Mm -hmm. turn-based uh strategy combat stuff but it's a western a supernatural Mm -hmm. western so you've got like superpowers and guns it's lots of fun it's right up my alley yeah absolutely and I got it on sale. It was two bucks on sale. And nice. it's, it's, and it's easily, if I had pay, paid $10 for it, I would feel that's a perfectly justified price. And I got it for two. Mm. So I'm really enjoying that aspect of the switch that I could never get on the Xbox or the PlayStation where now there are indie games on there, of course, on those, but you, I mean, they don't want you to pay pay two dollars for an indie game on Xbox Live. They want you to pay upwards of a hundred dollars for a season pass of something that's not even a yeah. complete game, you know? Like ugh. And and I fought with this because like so there's one game that I want to get for the Switch, and that's uh Dragon Ball Fighters. Because I played mm-hmm. it on the three six or the uh, Xbox One and I liked it a lot. It's a, it's the best darn Dragon Ball Z game that's ever made. Um, it's just so well done, but I don't particularly like the Xbox One controller, and it's just that I had checked it out from the library at the time, and I played it and got pretty far in it, so I'm like, okay, I'd like it on the Switch to have it portable and all that, but the problem is, we're into the third wave of fighters, of, like, DLC fighters, and it's like, if you're a fan of Dragon Ball Z, you need to get every single darn fighter that they're gonna release here, even if they're, like, weirdo ones, or, like, this one's from a movie. This one's an alternate from a movie. It's like the first pack of DLC characters includes base form Goku and base form Vegeta. But you know you want them because they do play differently. And you're like, yeah, what references did you put in those ones? Cool. So it's weird. Um, but the thing is, they've been on sale consistently. Uh, the game is normally $60 new. It's been on sale for like 15 bucks, And the DLC packs have been on sale for like half off. So I'm like, whoa, if I want to get it, now it's time to get it. But the thing is, I don't want to get it digital. I want it, I want physical copy and then I can get the DLC for it. But the other problem is that my Switch is like, it's hit its limit for memory. Like I'm now doing the the, the shuffle every time I need to, to buy a new game, basically. I need like, well, okay, what's gotta go? What, what do I have to ax from my memory? What can I move around or get rid of or, uh, entirely and there's been some heavy losses for sure of just oh, like yeah. okay like i'm looking through and it's like you know obviously i don't lose the game forever assuming that i someday download it again before the eShop eventually shuts off um and i can never download it again like what's happened with the wii so like so there's some games i bought on the wii that i can never play again because i had to make space on my wii because i ran out of memory there my wii u i'm in the same spot where i ran out of memory from there and at least my switch i have a micro SD card that added a bunch of memory, but the thing is the micro SD card is almost out of memory as well. And a lot of this is because Nintendo themselves have made it harder to manage your memory 
because now they don't just make a game and then you're done with it. They make a game and then update it. So Breath of the Wild, great game. Oh, you want to get some DLC to that? Okay. Hey, that's great. Pokemon, Sword and Shield, that's a good game, right? Yep. What's the next one? Well, you're going to need to download more. Okay. Smash Brothers. We're going to give you a crap ton to download on Smash Brothers because we're just keep we're going to just support them. And so like they're finally figuring out like they can do the support system to keep adding stuff, but the bigger problem is that that adds more memory. It's not like it doesn't download it onto the game cartridge, which I wish it did, so that you have a game cartridge that's like beefed up with more stuff, but like they download that to your system or your it's like system memory or your SD card. And eventually you lose memory and you're like, crap, okay, do I want to have memory open for the next fighter pass for Smash Brothers or the, the DLC for Sword and Shield to make that justifiable that game was ever made because it felt light on content? Or do right. I save it for a new indie game that's coming out? And like, I'm looking again, like if an indie game or something says it's over a gig, I generally say, no thanks, not worth it. Thankfully, most of the indie games I've got have been super worth it because they're under that. Like I got the messenger uh, a couple of months back and finally played it this last month and shmoof, messenger. So good. So good. Good retro throwback game with phenomenal writing. that You would really appreciate because the whole point yeah. is that you're, you're, you're playing this character called the messenger. And it's like, the world has basically been ripped apart and, and ruined by monsters. And you live in like the last outcrop, in the world of like where humans live on the west coast of the of the world like west of the world and you get the scroll that you have to deliver to the top of the world go messenger go and as you're going you keep encountering this guy the shopkeeper in this basically this room that's beyond space and time and he's super meta because he keeps making reference about video games which is a fine line to walk and indie games need to stop it um because enough games have done the meta stuff it's very hard to do well. This game does it really well. And the best part is that this messenger or the, um, the shopkeeper, you can ask him, um, like, just chat with him, like, just, at, you know, chatting with him. And he's like, hey, what do you want? And, like, you can ask him a question, like, do you have any stories to tell? And he's like, oh, sure. And he tells you these really long, elaborate, like, fables, basically. Um, some that you're familiar with, some that you aren't. And it's fascinating because you're just like, this is a really, really long series of messages he tells one where he basically retells the princess and the pea but he tells the prince and the pea and he explains this and he gets to the point and then the guy you know the, the messenger's like ah and then happily ever after right he's like no that's the thing it is obviously you know because the guy was so picky and so sensitive they, he couldn't he never got along with her at all they they he, he picked apart everything and he you know he complained everything nothing was perfect for him he was so sensitive and picky about everything but eventually they fought all the time and they didn't get happy until they finally realized that their marriage wasn't working so they got a divorce and then they lived happily ever after. Like, what? And then like the messenger will be like, what was the point? What was the, what was the mess? Like, what was the point of that story? And he's like, well, think about it. And like, sometimes he'll actually give you like this really deep message in it. And you're like, this is a silly, like meta breaking story that he'll deliver to you. And it's a long bit of dialogue to read. Through. But every time you get to the end, you realize, wow, this the writer on this was really on his A game. Cause this is good. It's good stuff. It's like, I highly recommend the messenger. I'll take really a look good. at that one. That sounds like fun. It, it's, it's a fun one. Great music, great concepts, great, great humor, and just phenomenal writing. I was really blown away by that. But yeah, I, got, I bought a ton of games, you know, like indie games. I got that one, Katana Zero. Um, what else did I get? Uh, no, I'm blanking. I got yeah, a whole bunch. Uh, Freedom oh, well, Planets. I, I dipped my toe into something that I never expected that I would actually download. 
But I, my kid kind of goaded me into, well, what is this? Let's take a look at it. And that was Fortnite. Cause oh, boy. He, oh, that's free. That's a free one, so... Yeah, yeah, and and my we're the you know I'm I'm the world's okayest parent because I let my kid watch YouTube like at all because it's uh-huh. just awful, but you know he's got his little kid like celeb like YouTube celebrity little kids that he watches and every once in a while they'll play Fortnite, so he's aware of what it is at the basis level like it's. It's a game where you run around and shoot at each other, and that's about it. Mm-hmm. I downloaded it, which took forever. It's a gigantic download, and that already, I'm like, uh, I don't know about this. <laughs> but also, it's a Battle Royale game, and I, as I've said on previous episodes, I'm, I'm not terribly interested in them. Apex mm-hmm. Legends was right up my alley. That was something that just kind of worked for me. But I also just love Respawn and I love what they did with the genre. Fortnite is like, this might be the one that feels the most like like the next generation of what a slot machine is. Where it just feels like they're throwing a- any color and any gimmick at me possible. I... nothing is properly explained the interface the menu system on it is god awful on the switch version i've Mm -hmm. I've never seen this game before on anything else and uh, i just downloading it and then going in of course the first three menus are dedicated to are you going to buy the battle pack you should buy the battle pack if you buy the battle pack you'll get Mm -hmm. this this and this by the way, if yep. you buy the battle pack, if you act right now, you only get the special Deadpool collection for this amount where you get to dress as Deadpool and you use Deadpool's guns and you get Deadpool's little e- emote thing. And mm-hmm. obviously you want all of that, right? And I'm like, I, uh, could I play the game? Anyways, if you get into the battle pack, then you also get this character whose special ability is... I, and I'm just like sitting there going, I don't give a crap about any of this. I want to play this game that I just spent so much time waiting for the download and it's like a couple gigs. Could I play this game, please? And then I play it and I'm like, this is fine. It's fine. It's it's exactly what I expected. It's a run-of-the-mill battle royale game where you, you shoot at each other and so, sometimes you win. Most of the time you don't, if you're me. Yep. And and then the rest of the game is dedicated to there are seven different, you know, uh, currencies that you have to amass in order to get anything new. And it's, you know, it's built around the idea of grinding. You just have to grind incessantly or you pay to win. And I the thing about it that I that felt insulting to me was. I can't nail down what the even like semblance of a plot or a theme or anything like it doesn't feel like there's any cohesion to the game at all. It feels <laughs> like almost like this is the closest any video game comes to Ready Player One, where it's just yeah. like it's just an amalgamation of all crap that they can legally put into it without violating copyright law. And like totally. they'll they'll make a deal where it's like okay now Thanos is in the game this week, like why? Because mm-hmm. 
because we signed a contract that that's made it legal for us to put this licensed character in. I mean, what do you want from us? He's in here now, <laughs> so you can play as him if you pay a fee. And yep. I, it's just, I am. This is where I I reveal my new uh, advanced age, I guess, where I'm just like, I am not the target audience for this game clearly because I'm not ten years old and. I don't have like $50 of random ass disposable income to spend on a digital hat or whatever. Yep. Like I just, I, I have no patience for it at all. I, I am playing animal crossing. As I've said, I am digging deep, deep, deep into this one. And it is a hard game to play when you have so many friends who are also playing it because and who started a couple weeks early i think people everyone else got like a three week jump on me i think before i finally started playing it like i got it and played it um yeah because i ended up getting like i won it uh, a copy of i wasn't planning to play it at all so i was like no i just don't feel like i can do it and uh i won i won it from um uh twitter retweet to win twitter contest i'm like sweet and I was like, yeah, I'll play it now, of course. I'm going to get it for free, like $60 game for free, like in the launch window. That's great. So, but the problem was, of course, slow down with uh, mail and all that. So it took a, it took some time. So I finally got it. And then I'm like, well, I want to wrap up this other game I'm playing before I really jump into this. And so finally we did. And now it's like, okay, we're playing Animal Crossing. We're going hard in it. Because I wanted to finish uh, Fire Emblem Three Houses. And finally wrapped that one up after 92 hours. I'm like, oh God, I don't oh know if God, I can... 92 hours. Yeah. And to put that in reference, so Fire Fire on the Three Houses has, depending on how you play it, there are four paths you can take because there are three houses, hence why it's called three houses, that you can pick from. And that changes the story drastically. Then there's a, a break point at one key chapter in one of those that you can also go in two directions so there are four total storylines with four different conclusions and four different everything so if you want to play the full game 92 hours is actually not enough time and that doesn't include any of the dlc because as soon as it's like done like you're ready to play dlc no i don't think i will (laughs) (laughs) i think i'm done i've got everything i wanted out of it i was actually like usually when I've gone that deep into a game and like loved the characters and loved every bit about it, when I see the ending, I actually get really melancholy and I sometimes I start crying because I realize, oh man, this is the end. I don't get to see these characters anymore and what happens next, I don't know. Well, the ending of Fire Emblem Three Houses for some reason just felt like, and then the war was done and you, 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 won, you won the game. And then it gives like, you know, a... You know, Animal House, and here's what ha- what this character did after that, because you obviously they need to tell you what everyone did, and they give right. like life story. The thing is, um, in the past games, you could actually decide who married who. This one, people do get married, but if you roll the dice, kind of thing, where the game will decide on an algorithm that's not clear to you who is best suited for each other by the end of the game based on their support levels which is kind of a hidden metric that you can kind of check, but it's not clear. Cause it's like, Oh, you go to someone's stat screen and it's like, here are their top three allies. So it's like, okay, well this guy, it seems like his top ally is this girl. But if you go to her screen, her top ally are these two other guys. And then this guy third, 
So you find out, and it's like, it, you, it's really difficult. You have to plan it very, very carefully. And it's like, this is not worth it. So then at the end when it's like, okay, who did the people, who ended up with whom? I was like, oh, cool, cute, okay. All right, okay, okay, okay. And then as soon as I was done, I was like, well, I'm done with this game now. It's over. And so I moved on. Now I'm in Animal Crossing. And this one has been, I'm hearing everyone say that it's the best Animal Crossing game, and it's really difficult for me to agree with that because I don't think it is, but I don't think it isn't, if that makes sense. Well, yeah, it seems you you've been having this a lot in the last couple of years where the the latest in a series is, you know, quickly becoming the most beloved in the moment. And like, I mean, you felt this way with Breath of the Wild when it came out, where oh, everybody's like, this I'm... is the greatest Zelda. I oh, man, I every time I read anything about Breath of the Wild on like Polygon, they always mm-hmm. follow it up with not only is this the greatest Zelda game of all time, it, it's the greatest Switch game of all time. And it also it's the greatest Nintendo game of all time. And I'm like, whoa, pull it back a little I'm like, bit. Yeah, all three of those strong disagree on all three of those. Uh, I don't think it's the best Zelda game. I don't think it's the best Nintendo game. I don't think it's the best Switch game. It's good. It's a good game. It's a great game. And it has it. It has my respect. I did not enjoy it like everyone else did. I did enjoy it on my second playthrough a lot more, even though I didn't finish my second playthrough. I got about halfway through and I kind of lost interest again, mostly because I got the DLC and the DLC made me lose interest, which is not a good sign for DLC. But that's not what I'm talking about here. Right. When you come to yeah, when you come to Animal Crossing, it's tough because this is the fifth. Did you do the math right? Uh, yeah, this is the fifth iteration of the series. Like in for like, is that global. including the is that including the mobile game? Uh, no, I'm, I'm not including the mobile game. I feel. I, I feel like that's probably more of a spinoff. So like started and technically people are going to be like, well, actually, if you think about it, it started on the N64. I'm like, yeah, I know. Animal Forest was the first version of the game on the N64 in Japan. And they, they ported it over to the GameCube version, which is Animal Crossing, uh, which basically was Animal Forest, but like beefed up. And a lot of improvements were made to the U.S. version. So then those were re like. They went back and did a Japanese version of Animal Crossing for the GameCube and, and beefed it up with the stuff that was from the American version, like the quality of life changes. Then it had a, a DS version, a Wii version, a 3DS version, which is the one I wrote for, and now we are on the Switch version. And everyone is very excited, and the Switch is the perfect system for it. And it couldn't have come out at a better time. And it's yeah. just like, wow, that's almost scary how ac- like how perfectly timed it showed up. Uh, and it's I can only imagine that it's made Nintendo a lot of money because it's sold out everywhere and it is the perfect game for this sort of lockdown. And at the same time, I'm finding myself really, really frustrated and I'm seeing kind of the end of my enjoyment with it, like on the horizon, which is ironic. This is New Horizons. And hey. it's because the game has the game wants you to play slow the, and the animal crossing game has always been about that that there is a daily limit of stuff you can do before you really realize you there's nothing for you to do you're out of things to do every day you have like your little you know internal mental checklist of things you know you can do in that day and after you've done those things then you're kind of like well what do i 
do now. Yeah. And and there's always been a series of unlocks that happen in the game. So you generally need to unlock the ability, like you need to unlock certain tools um, to, so you need a fishing pole, you need a, a net, you need um, a slingshot, a shovel, an ax, a watering can. Um, and that's basically like your main toolkit. This one, they add a, a vaulting pole to get over rivers and a ladder to climb up ledges. And those are kind of the, the two key things because they've added so much more like island exploration in this one. And it's not like a giant island, it's but it's big enough you need and it's cut apart by you know water channels. That you need to have this vaulting pole to get over the water before you have unlocked the ability to create bridges. And you need a ladder to get up to the higher points of your island until you've unlocked the ability to create ramps. And it's aggravating that I finally have got to the point where it's like, now you can create a bridge, now you can create ramps. Like, cool. You can only do one of those at a time. And it costs a lot of money to do it. Yeah. And then when you give and then when you pay the money to do it, you have to wait a, an, until the next day resets and everything resets at 6 a.m. So you gotta wait until 6 a.m. the following morning before you have that finished. And, you, and then you can start again. I'm like, oh my God. I was really hoping because today I finally like I finished paying off a bridge because I was like, good. Now we can go, you know, we have a second bridge in our town. This is good. I have to wait a full extra day before I can do that. Crap. Okay. So everything is a game of waiting. Like you do a task in the first in a day so that you can wait to do something the next day. And it's always that what's going to happen tomorrow. And it's just really, really frustrating that it's like every t i feel like i'm just hitting roadblocks of like content in a day and it's like you start it off and it's and it sets you up with the basic stuff set up where your tent's going to be uh set up where your two other islanders are going to live uh learn some basics learn how to craft stuff learn how to the very nitty-gritty here's here's how you craft a net here's how you craft a fishing pole that's all you get so far. So you're, you're, you don't even have the ability to craft the, the vaulting pole yet. It's like, okay, now if you do these things, you can get the museum and then you can get a vaulting pole. Okay. And then after that, you can now get, you know, you have to build the museum up, but now you can get the, the ladder. Okay. And by this point, you've got a shovel and you've got, you know, you've got a slingshot and stuff. So like all these other little things that you've kept seeing for the first couple of days, you can actually start interacting with them. And it's like, oh my gosh, like it's taking so long for me to get to this point. Now I have, uh, so I think I have seven villagers now. I think you have a total of nine in your in your town. So I had my first two. I finally had more people show up because then at one point it hits you with this almost glut of stuff because you're like, expand your island. And I expanded a point like, okay, now we need to make some space for more people to live. And everything's always been like, make space for one thing. It's like, build three houses. I'm like, oh, wow. Like, yeah, how do I do that? It's like, well, plant these, put where you want the three houses to be. And then you also have to create the materials, like like three internal uh, interiors, interior stuff and three exterior stuff for your house. Like, that's a lot of stuff to grab. Like, yep, get to it. Like, oh boy. And I grinded for a day and got it. And I'm like, okay, all three houses ready. And then they slowly, like one person moves in one a day each day. It's like, okay, only one person a day. Come on. I know, and, and they even told me like, which villagers are going to show up. For me. I know who's going to show up here just let them show up like just give it to me now and it's just that slow progress and i'm hitting that so hard where i'm like i see 
where the end goal is. And then when I hit that end goal, I don't really know if I'm going to keep playing it because there's really not a bunch. I <sighs> That's the thing. I, I'm going to say the blasphemy. I'm like, I don't think there's a lot for me to do, even though everyone's like, are you kidding? This game is so open. You can do so much. You can create so much. And I've seen everyone else online make phenomenal islands with interesting themes and, and fun games and stuff. But I look at it, I'm like, I don't really care. Like, I've built. I I think the big thing is that this is a game where, I mean, like you said, it's, I mean, pacing isn't really the right word for it, but it's a case of like, there, there's so much to do, but the, uh, the way it's elongated, the way it's spread out for a more leisurely playthrough, there are people who are, you know, taking their sweet ass time with this game and really, I don't I don't typically see that as the way you would play a game like this. You I, I've always seen your way of playing games as not being like a speed run, but more like a case of like you 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 have a goal in mind. You mm-hmm. you're a result oriented gamer. Whereas yeah. other people, especially with this kind of game with Animal Crossing, are kind of in it for the atmosphere, the experience, the the prolonged feeling that they get from it and and especially with animal crossing the aesthetic you know they i think they get away with this uh this kind of muted pacing by way of look how adorable and cute and beautiful this is couldn't you just spend all day just gazing at it and i know because i've seen you play games i've sat and watched you play games and the answer is no i i have a place to be i have a thing to do a go 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 it's, I mean, it's the same way if you ever see me read a graphic novel. I, a lot of people think I read graphic novels too quickly <laughs> because like, yeah, I, well, if I, if, yeah, I don't, I don't linger on a page. I'm reading and if, I, if an act, oh, if, I, know, I know that, I know that from the day you got married, I, I was, I was Chris's <laughs> best man at his wedding and you know, it's every it's every wedding you've ever seen where people are running around. Aunts and uncles are showing up and running around going, what can I do? How can I help? Can I move these chairs? These chairs don't need to be moved. OK, how about streamers? Do we need streamers here? Streamers aren't even a thing. OK, that's fine. Where's the food? Do we need food? Can I go get food? Can I get more food? Can I eat the food? What can I do to help? And Chris, like like every groom I've ever seen at a wedding is sitting and going, uh, my responsibility is to get, is to get married today. So, uh, I'm, I'm dressed and I'm ready and I, I got the ring. I got the vows. I'm good. Um, and, and Chris sat down and proceeded to read a, uh, I think it was a Wolverine comic. It was a uh, Wolverine civil war. Yes, exactly. Civil war, civil and, war time. And I'm I'm the best man, so all I'm thinking of is I've got a big toast to make, and I don't really know my audience very well here, but I'm gonna do that. And beyond that, I I don't have very much else to do. But I sit there and I'm like, maybe I'll just read Chris Chris's comic over his shoulder, and he's flipping through it like he's perusing <laughs> like an Entertainment Weekly or something. Like I I felt like, are you reading the dialogue of this? Are you? Yeah. Do you? Like, it was it was the most surreal thing I've ever seen because you go through a comic lightning fast. So, but it's I the do. same thing. You're you're goal oriented. You're looking for the end. You're looking to get done with it so that you can move on to the next thing. 
Yeah, and it can be really exhausting with some media to do that where like I yeah, I can't linger. I can't I cannot stop and just do it. And that's why like if if I play a game and it like Tetris 99, I played a lot. I every so often I'll go back into it and it's That's a great I game. like it's a great game and it's great that it has I mean there's some goals you can do um, which when they added that, it got me back into it. I'm like, oh, I have a goal to actually do instead of just playing to try to play. But now it's like, oh, you can achieve certain things. Like, oh, boy, that's my crack. Here we go. But otherwise, like, if it's a game that's pretty loose, I can play it here and there. Smash Brothers, I'll play it here and there. Now that I've finished every possible goal in that game, I can just kind of play it when I feel like it or as the, you know, as the interest strikes me. Whereas if I'm playing a game like Animal Crossing right now, even though the game is supposed to be so open-ended, it's like, yeah, you can make anything you want. I'm like, hold on, muchacho, you cannot, because you can't actually access everything. You slowly get a random assortment of things at various times, and there's clearly a hierarchy of stuff you get as you're playing. So you get some basic stuff that everyone, everybody gets these things to start with, and then you start to get random stuff every day through... Um, there's an online store, like an ATM that has, a, you know, you can purchase things that you have to wait a day for them to get mailed to you. And then the actual shop has a slot, a small assortment of things that cycles through every day. And between those, sometimes you can shake out something new from a tree once or twice a day. Sometimes you can get stuff from balloons that float by. Sometimes villagers will give you new items as you're going. And the same also applies for DIY ingredients to craft stuff and i'm thinking like okay like i have hit my limit of stuff i can do like i was able to make a garage on my house like i i aesthetically made a garage room because i and i started to plan that out like oh cool oh i have i found a lawnmower oh i found a hose reel oh i found a workbench you know i'm gonna start making a garage and i thankfully had enough pieces i'm like i like this i'm gonna make a garage and this is gonna be my favorite room my house and I'm going to really say, yeah, because I'm dad, I'm dad in the garage. Here we go. So I'm going to stop by that room every day when I'm doing my crafting at my craft bench instead of the one outside or the one in like the town square. So I have fun with that idea. But there's just uh, there's just so much that I, I'm like, I don't understand because I'm not trying to speed run the game. Or at least I don't feel like I'm going at a breakneck pace because I'm behind everyone else still. So I'm, I don't feel like I'm trying to catch up because I just can't actually catch up in this game. You have to yeah. just play it slow. Because, um, again, there's only so much you can do in a day without just spending, you know, hours upon hours. Like, I might put in three hours in it in a day over the course of the day. Sometimes when I'm watching stuff, I'll be playing it. And it's less, like, once you get to that point, like, I'm at the point now where I'm just grinding, like, fish and bugs. And I've kind of caught everything in this current season that I can catch. So I'm not catching anything new to add to my museum. So that doesn't feel exciting. And there's certain items that like certain fish and certain bugs that show up. They're like, okay, these are the high value things. Like these ones are worth 800. That's not too bad. This one is worth 8,000. I need to catch that every time. And every time you miss catching that, you get really frustrated. Cause you're like, that's 8,000 bells. That's 8,000 money that just scurried away or that like that I made fly away instead of get that paycheck because that puts me that much closer to my various goals of paying off certain loans. It's like right now I'm trying to pay <laughs> off like a six, a $600,000 bell loan on my house so that I can get a 
fourth room. And I'm like, but now what, what am I going to do with that other room? Do I have all the pieces I want to make a kitchen? No. Do I have all the pieces I want to make a bathroom? Maybe. Maybe I that, can make that a bathroom. That all sounds so nerve-wracking to me. <laughs> I don't want, yeah, I don't like, want to have to dude, think about any sort of loan repayment or anything in a game. Yeah. I, it's, it's, I, it's, uh, it's enough. But yeah, and like the thing that's a bummer is that there's this new system where you can go on these um, island tours, and it's cute because this is something that's carried over. There used to be islands um, in uh, Animal Crossing uh, New Leaf. They added this island tour thing, uh, really accentuated it there, and that was the way to get the most money. You took this island tour and you grinded there because it was always tropical summertime, so you could get a bunch of sharks, a bunch of huge mobs and bugs, these things that are worth like ten and 15,000 bells each. And you go there, you come home having caught like a dozen or more, and you basically make bank. And you do that, you can just go back and forth and back and forth. If you spend a couple hours in a day, you can make a million bells, and you can pay off your loan in a day. And people said that's broken, because it is. Like, yeah, you shouldn't be able to do that in this game that's supposed to be about, you know, life sim, but breaking the game here you can still break the game but there's more things you have to grind and it's really frustrating and you can go on these island tours to get more stuff than you normally could the island tours cost a currency called nook miles based on tom nook that you earn in a different way from money and it's not frustrating it's just you have to grind two different types of currency now and they are mutually exclusive, although you can exchange Nook Miles for Bells, but it's really tedious to do. And it's like, well, why would you? You want to have, you were going to use both these currencies. You don't want to throw it all into one. Um, so you have to buy the ticket to go take these tours, and then it rolls the dice on the type of island you're going to get. You could get an island that it's raining, so you could actually have a better chance of catching really high value fish. You could get an island that has a bunch of fruits that are not native to your island, which means they're worth a crap ton of money. And instead mm. of each tree having three, like for me, I have peaches as my town, my, my island's native fruit. I get 100 bells per peach. Every tree that grows a, a peach grows three of them. So I get $300 or 300 bells for that tree. If I get pears, those are $500 each. Because they're not native. So every pear tree gets me a 1,500 bells. And it's like, that's the difference between these two things. So if you land on an island that is full of like non-native fruits, like, oh, this island is full of pears. I'm going to make a lot of money just selling pears. I can get all these pears and sell them. Um, there's a mythical island called Spider Island that is nothing but terrain. Like, that has so many tarantulas. And everyone's like, oh, I found Spider Island. And it's like tarantulas, because tarantulas are worth 8,000 bells. They're hard to catch because you have to know the trick to catch them. And if they, if you miss, they don't just run away. They dive at you and bite you and you, you pass out. You have, and you wake up, like, wherever. Like, you basically reset yourself, which is kind of, it's like dire. It's like, whoa, man, I do not like spiders. Um, it's like, it, there's not really any loss of anything, but you're still like, I was just assaulted by 8,000 bells. That is worth a lot of money. Like that's a lot, like that's, that's a lot of money and time and all that just gone. And <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. So like I'm playing it casually, but I'm already realizing that I'm out of like fresh things to do. And now I just have to like wait for the day reset because every day you have 
like the you have your little checklist of things. You have four spots that have fossils you can dig up that you have to take to the museum to get assessed to see if they're new. If they're new, you want to give them to the museum so you fill, complete your museum. If not, then you can go sell them for pretty high value. Um, there are, you want to talk to every village in your town because you have one thing that's counting whether you've talked to everyone in your town. Uh, you want to do that as every every single day. So you talk to everyone in town. Um, you, there are, I think, six rocks in your town you can hit for resources. So you want to go hit all your rocks. Six? Six. Uh, so, yeah, you have six rocks in your town. You hit those for resources. You can only hit them once a day to get your resources. If you have fruits, you gather your fruits. Um, you go to the... You got to check in at the ATM to get your points for the day and see what's the new items being offered through the ATM. You check with Tom Nook to see if there's anything new he wants you to do and do that task that day. You go to the store and you buy anything new that looks interesting and then you sell everything. And it's basically like, those are the things you do in your day. Plus, you have all these different ways to earn Nook miles doing tasks. And there's like times two, like five. It's, you start the day with five times two tasks. So they'll give you double points for those. So you want to do those, and then you're kind of done. So once you do all that stuff, and you can get all that stuff done in like a half an hour, maybe an hour, depending. And then you're like, you kind of go like, well, I uh, now I'm done with my main tasks, and I can just do stuff and slowly get things. But at the same time, sometimes you're looking like, why do I, I don't really want any things? And I don't want to I don't want to go to any of my friends' towns because a lot of them are better than mine. And that's intimidating. And also the system, like the communication system is text-based. So you have yeah. to type things out on the switch, like in this small window. And it's like, oh, this is awkward. I want to just be like, hey, I, you know, this is Chris. Because sometimes you don't even know the name of the people's islands because getting to it is kind of a slog to get through all the different text boxes to allow you to go online and to find search for a person and to pick the person to go to their island. And when you get there, you're like, hey, and you want to make sure some of them have built everything so you know this is all the free stuff. Take all this stuff. Here are some fruits that you might want. Here's the blah, blah, blah. But otherwise, like, I really wish it had a voice chat and Nintendo doesn't do voice chat. And that's yeah. frustrating. It's like, Why don't you do voice chat? Why do I need to have my phone to do voice chat on this game when I'm paying for an online service? And it's just so frustrating. So, like, I, I went to one island and it was nice enough i figured out who it was i said hey it's me they said hey it's so and so i gave them i said i have peaches and i dropped you know 10 a bundle of 10 peaches as my like the housewarming present like hey i have peaches and they're like awesome and i realized okay they weren't peaches are native they ran over like they left grabbed my peaches and left i'm like okay bye and they ran back up i have pears through 10 pears i'm like hey there you go so that's how i now have pears on my island and like this money making scheme like cool but it's this like, since then they're like, she, the person's like, hey, there's the like catalog garden they've made where if you pick up an item and you've had it in your inventory, you can put it back down and you can purchase that item in your catalog. It registers in your, your, your online catalog to purchase stuff. So you can go through that and get a bunch of stuff if you want to build. And there's like a bunch of like freebies. You're like, hey, take this stuff. It's free. I, you know, duplicates or whatnot. A lot of recipes to learn. Just like, oh man, and I look around their town and they've just built it up so much and done all this methodical work. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to go home now. This is exhausting. Yeah. Being in this better area. Like, I'm going to go back to my island alone and just do my chores and fish my fish and catch my bugs. Oof. 
So like the, the uh, game that, that all does yeah. sound really exhausting to me. But then again, I'm also a gamer who does things a lot differently than you do because I'm I'm not somebody who will methodically like build out you know everything elaborately like that like like the other folks are doing. I'm more yeah. the like I'm going to get lost exploring thing. Like any any game where there's a like an achievement for a time limit, I'm not getting it. Mm-hmm. I, I I forget I, I God there was some video that I was watching the other day where somebody was playing a game and it was like you know get uh, gather up all of the power up items and get an achievement and uh, kill all enemies and get an achievement and then do it all in less than sixty seconds and both me and the person in the video were both like well that one's not happening. Yeah. And so I I I think that Animal Crossing might be a little too much for me in terms of like I could just go and explore other people's islands and that could be the whole game to me probably. Mhm. So I wouldn't be very good at actually doing stuff. It's some games are exhausting and some games are fun. I like a game that moves at a good clip. I love games that I can play and beat in a week right now. Like I, it's really difficult for me. I like when I look at a game's time and I go, Oh, I didn't know I spent that much time with it. Or, Oh, I didn't realize that game was that short. If I'm looking at the game's time and I realize I'm almost at 70 hours and I don't know where the end is. Then that's a bad sign that I've officially lost interest in the game. And, or at least like my passion is waning. And I realize that I'm past that point of no return where I'm like, I need to finish this because if I don't finish it now, I never will. And that was where I got with fire emblem where I was like, if I don't finish this now, I will never finish this. Let's do it. Yeah. It's just like push, push through. But I realize like I'm not. I can't half-ass this. I need to go. I need to play the game as the game wants me to play it, which is very in depth. It's like you need to keep grinding to, you know, support levels so you learn more about the characters and all these things. And like I'm going to play the game as you want me to play it. I'm not going to half-ass. Them. I'm going to just take the cheap road. We're going. But man, is it exhausting to do that? And that's. I mean, I'm not taking the cheap road in Animal Crossing. I'm playing it. I'm interacting with it. I'm. I'm doing the things. I am doing the things with it, but it's starting to feel like I'm only like two weeks and change into it. And already I'm seeing that, ah, that's where I find my end goal is once I've completely updated my town, I think I don't have anything more I want to do. And then I will be done. Like I'm not going to build this elaborate themed town. I'm not even going to build an elaborate themed house. I'm going to have rooms that I feel content with. That's that. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, speaking of, speaking of a game where it's just like... I, I mean, I, th- I think that I've fallen in love with the idea of playing smaller indies for that very purpose of I don't want to play a game nonstop for a week and then wonder, am I near the end or am I at, like, the halfway point? Uh, I, I My time doesn't work that way anymore and really hasn't for years. I think the last game that I was able to just sit down and be like, all right, I'm going to start this game now and I am not going to play anything else. And all of my free time is going to be, you know, associated with this 
world that I am diving into head first. I mean, Red Dead Redemption 2 felt that way to me, but that was also took me longer than it took everybody else to get to the end to. Mm-hmm. because there's just uh, again another game where it's almost designed for me to just go get lost and i would i would do crazy things like okay i just ended a big uh piece of like the middle chapter of the storyline and it was a very very heavy thing that happened with like a major death or something like that and i'm feeling melancholy uh you know what i'm gonna go fishing and i would just go like I would find a spot on the map where I'm like, oh, that sounds interesting. It's on a frozen lake up north in the mountains. It's like a little abandoned fishing shack. I'm going to go there. And I would go there, camp on the side of a frozen lake and just fish and hunt and grow my beard out. And mm-hmm. and it felt, it, it felt like I was having a vacation in the game from the rest of the game. And that's that any ability to do something like that seems interesting to me if the game has been going on so long that i've lost track of like the pace i've I've lost track of where i am in relation to the story's arc mm-hmm. and all of all of that sounds like things that are barely possible for me anymore because now i play games in like 15 minute sprints before the kids wake up or before they get home or like these days, now that I'm working from home, I'll go on my lunch break, which is only 30 minutes long. And I'll be like, okay, obviously I can't play something in depth, like, like a red dead redemption or, or something like that. So I'll dive into something very short and simple that I can always like break into smaller chunks or pause and just not even worry about. I've, I've been playing a lot of bomber crew which mm-hmm. has a very it has very FTL vibes to it. Mm-hmm. But instead of a spaceship, it's like a World War II flying fortress. Mm-hmm. And same kind of thing where the missions are short, like 15 minutes if you run into trouble. And the majority of the game is just kind of based in you know what what you're doing in between missions like that's where you outfit your crews you customize your plane you do all of that there's a lot of prep before you go into the actual gameplay and that that mm-hmm. seems that, that seems a little bit less intimidating anymore for me which is why when you when you sent me my my birthday uh eShop money i i was having a hard time figuring out what to grab for a while, I was thinking I'm going to get something very fast-paced and top-down shooter. Like I had seen a lot of cool things about Judge, but the price on it's just a little higher than I want to spend on a game like that. Yep. Uh, I-, I saw the Hotline Miami collection was on there. And I'm like, whoa, I've never played those, and I've heard so many things about them. Uh, it doesn't seem like the the difficulty would be up my alley. I don't really like a game that I'm purposefully going to frustrate myself, and that feels like it. Mm-hmm. So I eventually went for a game that I knew I would just have a lot of fun with and almost zero stress attached to me, and I went with the Untitled Goose game. It's a great game. I I regret nothing. This was the perfect way to spend the money that Chris gave me. And it and it very much is 
in the spirit of Chris buying me a game on my Switch. Totally. Have have you played it yet with your kids or? Yeah, we actually started the day this morning, uh, cracked it open (laughs) and played it. And the funniest thing was my kids' reaction to it was, wait, what is this? I'm like, it's a game where I play as a goose. They're like, what do you do? I'm like, what don't I do? I'm going to. I, I pick things up and I walk around with them and I, and I, and I, and I quack and that's it. Uh, excuse and then me. I, He's honk, sir. Oh yes. Honk. Very. Yes. You I'm mess sorry. with the honk. You get the bonk. <laughs> so like the, the greatest thing about the game is that it is results oriented. There's a very clear cut, like here, open up your to-do list. And there, these are the things that you can make happen. If you, it's not really even like you can't call it a full fledged puzzle game, but it has puzzle game elements where you you have a list of tasks. You can do the tasks or you can just goof off. And mm-hmm. I I enjoyed doing both. I goofed off for the first maybe five minutes just walking around going, what do I do? Do I I can pick this up? Cool. I can. Oh, if I pick up the radio, it turns on the music and he hears it. OK. And after five minutes of goofing off, I looked at the list and said, that's something easy I can do. And the best part is it's an open world. It's, you know, it, it plays very loose with, you know, with, uh, what's the phrase I'm looking for? It plays very loose with the, sequence of events that have to transpire for you to keep going sure but because everything's so nice and simple and tidy even when you cause absolute chaos like you know the first big thing you have to do is oh take like this these seven items over to the picnic blanket to quote unquote have a picnic (laughs) and i'm thinking oh this is going to play against my sensibilities of i really don't like when things are in disarray it's like some like anxiety disorder problem that i have where when things get messy visually i get a little anxious because things won't be put back where they're supposed to go and even (laughs) when everything gets scattered eventually everything gets put back where it's supposed to go so i don't have to worry about it so it's a it's a very like it's a lot smaller of a game than I expected. I expected for the price and for how much it took over the internet for like a couple of weeks earlier this year. I mm-hmm. I thought this must be a big game, but it's actually really small. I think you can probably finish it in about two hours or an hour if you know what you're doing. I think I spent about two maybe three hours total in the game before I finished it. And I was like, ah, that was, that was perfect. That was charming. I loved it. I could do more. I don't feel like it. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure that I'll go back through and replay it even after I'm done because it does have a lot of replay factor. It's, it's, it's one of those games that I've always referred to as like a Zen garden game. I felt the same way about Minecraft where it's like, you can, you can just wander around and free associate and do whatever, or you can be very results oriented and 
stick to your list of tasks, do them one after another, be very methodical. You can do whatever. I I, I mean, it, it, what's really funny, I don't think anybody would make this comparison quickly, but it instantly reminded me of Hitman, uh, mm. specifically Hitman 2016, the the big revamp of the Hitman universe where the greatest version of Hitman has always been, here's this gigantic map. Almost everything you can think of is interactive. And Mm -hmm. as far, as far as you can go, just wander around and goof around, just try things. And if things Mm -hmm. work out great, if they don't work out, it's fine. You can restart or you can go back to your, your last checkpoint or whatever, but every once in a while you will surprise yourself and it will be a delightful moment of surprise that you don't get with video games much anymore because if you play enough of them, you kind of know how things work. But when you get a game as open sandbox as this is, you don't quite know what to expect because you don't know you don't know if there's an uh, equal reaction to every action that you do or if there's no reaction whatsoever or if it's somewhere in between. I I really enjoyed that factor where, much like Hitman, it was a case of, okay, if if I do this and I take it over here and I time this just right, Will I achieve the results that I'm looking for or will something hilarious happen? What'll happen here? Mm-hmm. And definitely best the best way to play Goose Game is to play it with an audience. Oh, definitely, uh, yeah. Like especially little kids, because I I don't think I've ever seen my kids laugh this hard ever as when all I was trying to do was get the 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 rake from the gardener and throw it in the lake. <laughs> the simplest of tasks, just get the, get the rake, throw it in the lake. But because dragging the rake is so cumbersome and difficult, I could not get away from the guy. And every time I failed, my kids found it hilarious. And then when I succeeded, they, they fell off their chairs laughing because <laughs> it's, it, there's no narrative. There's no, there's, there's nothing bigger than just you're a goose and you're causing chaos. Maybe it's, mm-hmm. maybe it's the quote unquote uncertain times we're living in, but it feels like the perfect game for right now where it's just everything sucks and nothing matters. And, but, but look how cute, look how <laughs> fun and cute. Like the aesthetic for the game is really pleasing and clean. And I, I really like how I don't have to think too hard about what's going on. It's challenging. Like it's not, it's not dull. There is a challenge, but it's less like, Oh no, I timed that wrong. I got to go back and retry it. Oh no, I fell down when I wasn't supposed to, I got to go back. I got to go back. I got to go back. When that happens mm-hmm. in games, it bugs the crap out of me because I'm getting frustrated with myself for messing up. Mm-hmm. But this this is a the rare game where when you mess up, it's just funny. Yep. And that's that's always the greatest kind of game to play, especially with an audience. That's why Grand Theft Auto was so much fun for me back in the day was 
All right, and here we go. I'm going to try to steal this car, and I got punched in the face. That's hilarious. <laughs> or, you know, okay, okay, I'm going to round this corner and see if I can get the shot off in time. And, well, I exploded, but that was very funny. <laughs> and this is the same way where it's like I, I could steal the gardener's keys 300 times, and every time it's funny. I think a lot of it has to do with the music too. The music is perfectly just like, it feels like a, like a nice comedy movie, mm-hmm. you know, like, like a low stakes comedy where, uh Oh, somebody's going to get wet and it's going to be unpleasant for them. Hilarious. <laughs> I don't know. It, it feels like a nice bomb on the world at large right now to just play as a goose just screwing with people it's i mean there's a reason it caught on so well it was beautiful uh to see the developers there's a small australian game company and uh they came out after a month if after being out and they you know because people were asking like what the success and they basically said we can make any game we want for the rest of our career and that was so nice yeah it's so nice to hear that they basically i mean they hit the jackpot the this game sold so well for them and i'm sure merchandising as well um because i've seen a bunch like and brand deals and stuff like that all of that stuff off this cute little game that actually went toe to toe with a lot of the triple a titles and the award season and took a lot of big awards and what was most astonishing to people was on launch day it launched the same day as link's awakening the remake on switch which oh, is wow, a good, really it, yes and it launched the same day as link's awakening on switch um and it's a good remake um from one of my favorite zelda games um it actually topped the sales chart on the switch's eShop on link's awakening launch day which is yeah. like every a lot of people are like wow buddy go goose like go goose because you love to see that you love to see this indie indie company just come out swinging with something weird something completely different from everything else on the market but it's also something that you can see a lot of quality and care was put into it and also something that is totally timeless and charming and hits everybody in a place just shows like there is a market for anything and a market they everyone could be served if you're listening and so yeah i was so pleased to see like the story behind like the story behind the untitled goose game is just amazing and you know it all beginning with them just kind of screwing around in this game like making this game on a whim and even someone asked like what are we going to call it and they just in a placeholder called it untitled goose game and eventually they realized we can't ever change that it's gotta be just untitled goose game. Yeah, no, I I think you yeah. nailed it. The the word the word is timeless. It's a game that it it doesn't feel like it like it's desperate to be of whatever period in gaming or in pop culture that we're in right now. It just feels like it's separate from from the industry in and of itself. You go on, you go on like an eShop and you find these indie titles that are 
like sometimes you'll go through pages and pages where you're like these all look interchangeable they all look the same they all look like like how many like how many <laughs> far, how many farm games look exactly like Stardew Valley how yeah. many you know like every indie game like Terraria which is just like an like an, a 16 bit or an 8 bit version of Minecraft that's like a side scroller Minecraft every every indie game to a degree feels like like there i even saw one in the e-shop that was called yet another zombie defense game or whatever and i'm just like oh i like good title because yeah there's been about 300 of those but don't don't make another one then make something else and mm-hmm. that's the thing about Goose Game is this has never been done before and the aesthetic is totally different and it's just such a simple concept that nobody would have thought to do, but mm-hmm. it works. It works primarily because it's not trying to be anything else. Like you don't go into this game thinking, okay, well, this is going to be a game with very innocent music and innocent uh you know uh aesthetics and then the surprise of the game is like the gardener falls into a meat grinder or something like that (laughs) and we all laugh ha 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 you know it's it's surprisingly (laughs) violent that's not what it is it looks exactly like what it is and it works because you just kind of get lost in the the unabashed ridiculousness of it. Like I'm, I'm a, I'm a goose. I'm going to steal mm-hmm. this guy's keys. I'm going to throw his keys in the friggin' water and watch him wade in to get them. Mm-hmm. Like I, it's, it, it, it's so pastoral and pleasing. I, I don't know why it really struck me. Maybe I've also just been inside so damn long <laughs> that it felt really <laughs> nice to, do something so uh charmingly pastoral like this mm-hmm. so, well, so thank you speak- for my birthday gift you're welcome happy birthday and speaking of inside i mean i'm already inside but i need to get i need to wrap this one up I've been talking yeah me too, too. so yeah we encourage everybody to follow us online at our handles <laughs> and the, write know, us at our emails, emails. You know, you know the ones. Yeah, it's a mystery. Find them. If you find them, and then then you found them. Uh, but yeah, I think <laughs> we, we've said it all, Kyle. We've There's said no as much as we could. Said. We have. And with that, uh, let's go get a sandwich. Sandwich sounds good.